Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. We're introducing some new segments called the Real Estate Syndication Show Highlights, where we are bringing you a look back at episodes focused on a specific topic that we believe added a lot of value to you in your syndication journey. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Also hit the notification bell so you can continue to know when new shows come out. Have a blessed day. Our guest is Michael Shogren. Thanks for being on the show, Michael. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. You started to find landlords who you could help really change their business model to increase their income. Yeah, I found landlords that were just looking to rent their property, right? On Craigslist or Zillow or anywhere like that. And I'm like, hey, I see you've got this property for rent. Let me show you some data on this new model that I'm working on that I've got some data on. And what if I could increase your revenue by two to four X? And they were like, well, what's the catch? And I'm like, there's no catch. It's just, it's a different model, right? We're renting your property out by the night instead of by the year, essentially. And a lot of people said no. A lot of people were scared and everything else. But the first couple that said yes, we got some data after a few months. And just like I told them, you know, they were two to four X in their top line revenue on these properties. So yeah, it's been fun. So where can I do this? Are there specific locations? Is it just wide open? Is it any city? Where can we do short-term rentals? Yeah. So as this niche matures over the next couple of years, some of you may have seen there's different regulations. Every city, quite frankly, is different. So I typically avoid any major city. So like I said, I live just outside of Boston. I don't operate within Boston. I operate about 30 to 45 minutes outside of Boston. Any large major city that has a quote unquote, like lack of affordable housing, they typically don't like short-term rentals just because they're like, hey, we need inventory for people to live here. Right. So I typically stay 30 to 45 minutes outside. But as far as like, would it work in a market? First, just Google like short term rental ordinance, enter your city name, and then that'll tell you if it's legal or not. The most common restrictions I see are owner occupied or the limited number of days in certain major cities. But other than that, it's pretty new. And when a lot of people think of short term rentals, they think of vacations. One of the things that I talk about a lot, there's actually nine different traveler profiles. I won't go through them all right now, but if you think of it, you've got vacationers, you've got corporate travelers. If you're anywhere near a university, right, you've got traveling staff, you've got people visiting, you've got parents visiting. Any like vocational schools or like nursing school, it might be a 13-week program. They need to come to somewhere for a shorter period of time, a few months. If you're near a hospital, right, like the situation I was talking about earlier, we were there for three weeks at a time. That's very common, especially at you know, some larger or specialized medical facilities. So those are just a few. And then just in general, there's just lifestyle events. No matter where you live, people move away and then they come back for birthdays, weddings, funerals, wakes, all sorts of life events. So I want to ask you, like, as far as multifamily properties, complexes, is that something we could incorporate? Absolutely. A friend of mine from my mastermind group, he operates down in Southern Texas and similar, right? He owns a lot of apartment complexes and he's starting to transition a percentage about 10% of his units to short-term rentals where he'll furnish them. And he's generating fantastic cash flow. And I just had a call yesterday with an operator up in Canada who's doing the same thing and starting to switch her portfolio 
starting to allocate some of her units to short-term rentals. Wow. So let's say I have like that deal specifically. Obviously, we have professional management that's managing the day-to-day operations. So how would that work? Would I say, okay, management company A, these two units now you're not managing other than maybe maintenance and some direct things like that. But then I'm going to hire somebody like yourself to say, you know, okay, now, Michael, you're managing these two units. Yes, you could go that route. Or like I teach my students, right? Like, the portfolio that I have now, I have all the systems in place that I can manage that portfolio in less than two hours a week. Just because so much of it can be automated through all the amazing technology that we have. So a lot of folks, myself included, when I first looked at this business, I'm like, it looks like great cash flow, but it's going to be way more work than just hiring a management company like traditional large multifamily investing. But the truth is, if you have the right systems in place, you can automate 95% of the business. So if you wanted to, you could do it yourself or you could definitely hire somebody like myself that this is all we do now. Can you give some examples of how you're automating or maybe some tools that we could even use that you've found to be very useful that we could use in a syndication business as well? Yeah, absolutely. So there's four systems that you really need. We can talk about a couple of them, but the first one is pricing. So similar to hotels, right? If you go online or airlines or anything, you'll notice those prices change every single day, right? So I use a software, there's a bunch of them out there, but I use a software called Price Labs. And that automatically adjusts my rates every single day to maximize my occupancy and my revenue throughout all my properties. And I'll go in and review it once a week on Monday mornings and just kind of see how I'm doing and certain things and maybe tweak things here and there. But that handles the majority of it. You need a communication or like a channel manager. So if I put properties on Airbnb, HomeAway, Booking.com, Expedia, all of those, you need to make sure that those calendars sync up and that all the messages on all the platforms come together. And you want to automate most of those messages because you know I get thousands of messages a month. I don't want to sit behind my phone or my computer and answer all those messages. So there's different softwares that you can use to manage that. A lot of them even have artificial intelligence. So if somebody's like, hey, where's the pool? It'll detect a question about the pool and it'll send a response about the pool. Yeah, or something simple about how to get in or a code or address or it can just know exactly what to say. That's awesome. Yeah. So the third one is around access and security. So we'll talk about this one because this is a common concern for most investors, right? So access. Yes, there's a bunch of different Wi-Fi locks that you can use. So nobody ever gets a key to one of my properties unless it's an emergency and they have to use one of the lock boxes. But I use a Wi-Fi lock system called August Home. And that platform integrates directly with Airbnb, HomeAway, and a bunch of the platforms. So anytime somebody books my properties, it automatically sends them an email that says, Hey, here's your unique code. And here's how you can download the app to access the property. And that code is only valid during their stay. So from 4 p.m. on check-in date to 11 a.m. on checkout date, after that, that code no longer works. So from a security standpoint, nobody's going off, could possibly go off and make duplicate keys or anything. Then kind of have a four-step system. So you've got the Wi-Fi locks. I use a ring security camera on the outside of every property. So their profile, right, their government ID, profile photo, everything has to match on the August, which has to match on the ring security camera. So if somebody says, hey, I'm coming with my wife and two kids, and then they show up and I see that there's 14 people there, I know that there's an issue and I can send somebody from my team or call the police and get them out of there. Inside the property, probably the coolest piece of technology, and I was actually just hanging out with one of the co-founders earlier, is called NoiseAware. And what this little device does, it's about the size of this mouse, and you can plug it into an outlet in the property, and it measures noise levels. 
It doesn't record. You can't hear conversations or anything, but all it does is measure decibels. So I can program that thing to say from between 10 p.m. and 8 a.m., which are my standard quiet hours, if it goes over this baseline threshold, it'll text me immediately. So it's happened three times over the last two years, right? The first time before I had all this cool stuff, somebody did trash my place. Then I upgraded and added all this stuff, right? So it's happened three times and I just either send a message or I call the guests and I just say, hey, hope you're having a great time. I don't want to be the party pooper, but I did just get a noise complaint from one of our neighbors. Again, I don't want to be the bad guy, but we got to keep it down. Just like you agreed our house rules, our quiet hours are 10 p.m. to 8 a.m. And every time they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize how loud we were being. We'll tone it down. You know, that was it. That was the end of it. What about safety for other tenants? If I have a multifamily property and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this with a couple of units just to test it out. What about safety for obviously the person that that's our home right next door? Yeah, absolutely. So the only way that somebody can just book my place instantly without me approving them is if they have a completed profile, which means their verified name, email address, phone number, government issued ID, and they've already had a positive review from another host. So they've already used the platform and somebody else like me already hosted them and said, this was a good guest. They were great. They took care of the property. That's the only way that you can book my place without me like physically approving you. Otherwise, you have to send me a message or quite frankly, my team a message now and say, hey, I'm coming to the area for XYZ. There's going to be X number of guests. It's my wife, my two kids, or you know, my brother-in-law or a couple of buddies, whatever, and just lay that all out. But they have to have everything completed. And then I could just check the security cameras if I felt anything was off. But I typically don't rent. I shouldn't say typically. I don't rent to people under 25. And I kind of have those baseline rules in there. Our guests are Julian Sage and John Bell. Thanks for being on the show, guys. Thanks, Thanks for having us, Whitney. Why short-term rentals? And what kind of got you into that? I know maybe you have a military background. Is that something that kind of pushed you into short-term rentals? Yeah, for myself, you know, I fell into short-term rentals just because as a military guy moving to the DC area, you know, it's it's expensive to live here. And short-term rentals really allowed me to be able to start actually living in my house for free. I purchased a primary residence and I was just trying to look to save some money. And when I listed my basement unit online, I realized that I was actually quickly able to cover my mortgage, which kind of inspired me to start this blog, Short-Term Sage, to be able to teach other people that you know, short-term rentals is a way that I don't have as a military guy, like I wasn't making a lot of money. So having the option to make over $2,000 a month off of a basement unit, is kind of crazy when people are investing into properties, spending tens of thousands of dollars to maybe make two, $300 a month with a lot of headache. As a short-term rental is a lot of simplicity. There is a lot more ease. There are different things because it is a hospitality business. But when we started teaching other people in the space, we quickly realized that this isn't just uh, list your basement unit online and make money business. This is actually something that you can build a whole business around, or you can incorporate that into your other types of asset classes, like in the multifamily space is what we started realizing as we scaled our company. Nice. John, where are you located and why is Airbnb your focus? I'm in the DC area, Maryland proper. And I thought of Airbnb and short-term rentals as more of a way to get some side cash. I was an avid flipper. I had a franchise called Homevestors where I was buying homes and flipping homes. And I was kind of, I would say mediocre in doing that. I was able to bring in some money, but then at the end of each flip, I was still kind of like, that's a lot of work just to get maybe, of course, we're talking probably 60,000 in profit, but I just felt like I could be doing something different or better. And I stumbled across Airbnbs just by going and staying at one. And once I really did the math, I was thinking, whoa, 
this is something that is way better than just going out and flipping homes. And I started, I had a full-time job at the time and I just wanted an extra like $4,000 a month. And I was able to achieve that very quickly. And before I met Julian, I was already like scaling up to about 24 apartments and I had the 24 and I was still working my day job. It just was so easy to kind of get things going. And I took that franchise mindset, that systems and standards kind of thing where I built these systems and it made management of these apartments really easy. And it didn't stress me to have them. And because I was a flipper, I knew other flippers, right? So my investor friends that kind of came out and they had properties they were going to flip or they bought a bigger building and they didn't know what they were going to do. I became an avenue for them to kind of flip to or basically fill an apartment that they had vacant. And then I would add extra income for them. So it was like a win-win for the both of us until they started literally throwing apartments at us just because, hey, I'm confident that John at the time could just go out and just fill these apartments. So I'm just going to go buy a bigger building. I'm going to give 20 apartments to John and he's going to go and do it that way. So very interesting, very fun, great business to couple in, like you guys said. Nice. Well, it's just interesting just to hear how people chose the asset class that they're working in and committing their time to. Yeah, I feel like, you know, Airbnb is something that, like I said, we should know about. Can you just give us a few things? Before? I'd like to talk also about how you all are using a fund to invest in short-term rentals. But before we do that, help the syndicator that's listening right now to kind of open their mind a little bit to, hey, maybe we have a couple units that we could turn into a short-term rental. What are some things they should be thinking about and why maybe they should strongly consider that? As a syndicator, there are a couple options that you definitely want to consider. If you do have a property, you know, a lot of people say it's location, 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 which is important. But well, the thing about short-term rentals that we see and that we teach others is that short-term rentals don't always have to be in these like major like cities or they don't have to be specifically in vacation destinations. A lot of people travel to different areas. You might have a multifamily building in maybe more of a rural area that's outside of where maybe a lot of hotels are, that might actually be the perfect area for a short-term rental because people traveling to that space, maybe they are looking for a corporate stay. Maybe they are a traveling nurse, a blue-collar worker, someone that's going into maybe an area that your property is located in that you can accommodate for. And there might be a large business there. Could be next to universities, schools. A lot of syndicators are looking for these prime locations where there is going to be increased jobs, where they maybe are near a university or they're by something that is going to draw people in. Those same reasons why people are going to be drawn in to live are also going to be very similar to the same reasons people are going to be traveling there to stay. So if you are looking to incorporate short-term rentals into your business, there are a different couple options that they might have to choose from. We have to think through like supplying the furniture and just having it outfitted, right? You know, if we're going to have one or two units like that. and But it could be a potential increase in income for a few units at least, right? And how would we think about like how many units we should consider? Or have you seen other multifamily operators say, okay, let's start with one and then let's see what happens? Or do they start with a couple? What does that transition look like to kind of get our feet wet a little bit? That actually just starts out just by checking almost the person's temperature. Some people do want to start out just with one unit. Some people are already somewhat hip to the space. So they want to start out with more. Typically, what we end up seeing is people doing at least 10% of the apartments that they want to do, let's just say within the first year. 
whether that rollout means they're going to start out with, hey, just two, or they're going to do more. But we see that they like that, or some cases we actually take up entire floors just because some people don't want to mix short-term guests with long-term guests. And we understand that concept, of course. And the advantage of having somebody like ourselves come in is we can take the floors that are necessarily not that popular, maybe like all ground floor apartments, because our guests don't necessarily care that, hey, I'm not living here on the ground floor, but yet I'm just coming to stay. This is a comfortable space. It's styled very nicely. And I'm just here for a week. So that's one advantage that we can definitely offer there. But if we're talking about numbers, right? I mean, let's just say you can make $300 per door just on a regular apartment. What we're able to bring in typically is about double that when we're taking it to a short-term market. So we're adding almost double the profit per door to the investor. And that's something that this industry is really the only thing that can do that. Is there a way to know for sure that this is going to be a good investment for us? I was thinking about like, how do I say, okay, this property, if we have 500 units in one market, how would I best determine which property I should start with? Maybe one or two to try to start with. There are some really useful tools out there that we use in our industry. One of those tools being AirDNA. AirDNA, it's just a market analyzer tool. Another tool that we like to use is Price Labs, which is a pricing tool, and they have similar data, a little bit different. And then going online and looking at sites like Airbnb and seeing what other listings are in the area and what some of the revenue that they're bringing in. Not only the revenue though, but the quality of the properties. These are things that we look at. Or you could work with guys like us. We love to look at properties and analyze them and come up with numbers and see if it'd be a good fit. And that's kind of one of the services that we provide to multifamily owners. Nice. Let's talk a little bit about how you all aren't just going and buying a property to turn into Airbnb. You're also operating a fund that's buying Airbnb properties. Can you just speak to that fund a little bit, operating a fund to buy Airbnb properties, as opposed to a lot of the listeners are going to be familiar with obviously syndicating deals, which are funds in themselves, but you all have a different type of fund. Can you just walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, we came up with a different concept, right? We worked with a bunch of people, a bunch of investors. And what we found is that having a certain amount of units in one space is great, but there's some seasonality that that person is exposed to. So how do we kind of hedge off some of that seasonality, which kind of gave us the idea of, hey, let's start a fund where we can go out, we can pick up apartments in different markets to basically flatline the seasonality across the board, offering great returns turns just throughout the year. And we also know that, hey, picking up a short-term rental is way cheaper than going out and buying a property because we use a method called rental arbitrage, which is basically we go and rent an apartment and we rerun it back out to Airbnb guests or short-term guests. And that way we're only in for the furniture, the security deposit. So we're talking, let's just say 10,000 per apartment. So allowing somebody to come in, dump some money into the fund, we're actually paying out 24.5% IRR on that fund. So really great returns. And we're doing that over a five-year span. And you almost can double your money by investing into the fund. Interesting. And tell me what parts of the country are you all seeing as best for Airbnb right now? Maybe you can speak to just the pandemic and things that's happened as well recently and how that's affected this market. Yeah, a lot of people are looking at short-term rentals as something that has been seriously impacted. And that's really going to be very market and location dependent. So 
let's just say for us, we've got properties located in Miami, DC, New Orleans, Pensacola, and different areas. Each market it has a slightly different effect. You know, we see just outside of the metro areas are actually doing surprisingly well because people are looking to get away from the cities and are looking to get into more rural, more outside these metro areas. But even in these metro areas, again, people are still traveling for work. People are still doing business. So the areas that we might see the greatest impact might be completely isolated destinations, maybe like Tulum, a lot of maybe like ski resorts, things like outside of that. But really, again, it's going to be market and location dependent because each county is going to have different regulations on how they will adjust the travel. But short-term rentals, it really is a market-specific type of effect. So let's say, okay, as a multifamily operator, we have a couple of units we are now turning into Airbnb. What are some ways just that we can maximize the revenue? I mean, some things that I wouldn't know about unless I'm speaking to somebody like yourself that we haven't talked about already. I would say it's probably best to go out and just contact somebody like us or us because we're going to be able to analyze the property and tell you at least what we expect to bring in. And we have a template in which that we know we can put in as far as aesthetics and looks and feels that satisfy our guest. A lot of people sometimes when they think of Airbnb, it's like, oh, I'm going to Ikea. I'm going to pick up this furniture. I'm just going to throw this thing together, but I want to charge $300 a night. And that technically is an epic fail. If you go out and do something like that, you're really not going to maximize what you're going to bring in. Your reviews won't look that great. So if you want something that's very turnkey, you want to talk to a professional that's done it over and over again. And collectively at the moment, we have over 50 apartments that we do this for. So, and like I said, multiple markets. So it's very easy for someone like ourselves to come in and direct and then go ahead and just provide returns for you. How do you prepare for a downturn with Airbnb? Yeah, it's one of the questions that we get all the time and even how we kind of made it through the pandemic and things like that. But we got to know our seasons, right? Knowing our seasons, let us know how we basically change our pricing. And we get really aggressive on pricing when things are low. That way we can get longer stays and we try to target longer stays, stays that are like three months or less or some, most times more. And we just try to get through that low to get back to the high where we can go ahead and charge our maximum price. So pricing has a lot to do with it. Marketing has a lot to do with it. And actually just screening and trying to get the right guest for the right length of stay is really key. We hope that you have enjoyed the highlight show today. You can always listen to the full episodes that were featured today by clicking the links in the show notes page in the, in the description box. Let us know in the comments what you thought of this episode, or you can go to lifebridgecapital.com forward slash podcast and click the feedback button. Let us know how we can add more value to you. Thank you and talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.